It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And welcome into the Virtual Bible Study. We are glad you're part of it. It is October 9th, 2008. We're live on your computer this Thursday evening. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is with me tonight. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you as always on Thursday night. We're grateful for all who are listening out there on the Internet and who may be hearing us either live or later on by our archives. Uh, We just enjoy this time of Bible study every Thursday night on the Internet. And we do look forward to hearing from you tonight as well. This is not just a one-way show here. We look forward to hearing from you and giving uh, you giving us your feedback on the discussion tonight. You can participate in the program by dialing 877-381-4567. That's 877-381-4567. That's a toll-free number. We pay the bill if you will just uh, give us a call or send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. We look forward to hearing from you. We have an interesting topic tonight, Dad, and one that is uh, vitally fundamental to our salvation, and that is understanding the nature of the God that we serve. That's right. We want to talk tonight about what God is really like. We think that there's a lot of misconceptions in, in people's minds about what God might be like But we get the real picture of God from the Bible, and so we're going to be talking tonight about both misconceptions that people have and what the true picture of God is based upon how he has revealed himself to us in his inspired word, the Bible. Earlier today, we sent out those questions, and we haven't mentioned this in a couple weeks, but we we want to mention to any of you who are listening uh, for the first time or if you're a new viewer or listener to the virtual Bible study, we have an update list of several hundred people that we send out a message to every Thursday, usually about midday, Jacob, we send out an email to all who are on our list, and we tell them what our proposed topic is for discussion that evening, and we start seeking feedback, uh, you know, by way of email. Of course, we've got a phone call coming in already. That's great. We love to get phone calls during the live program, but uh, we uh, are seeking email feedback throughout the day on Thursday. And if you'd like to be a part of that list, if you'd like to get on that list and receive those updates, if you will send us a message to simply questions at collegeview.com and put in the subject line, add me to your email list. Uh, you don't even have to put anything in the, in the uh, body of the text. Just just put in the subject line, add me to your list, and we'll be glad to do that so you get these updates. Earlier today, to our update list, we asked question one, what are some of the most common misconceptions that people have about God? And number two, what are the most important things that people need to realize about God? So those were our questions, and we've been seeking that feedback. We're getting emails already, and and we've got a phone call coming in, I think. We we do. They're working to get him hooked up here, so go ahead and continue. All right. All right. Uh, So no comment there on that. All right. We've got a caller saying we might not be getting out. Okay. So if you are get if if you are seeing us or hearing us tonight, one I listener says are. he's not. I think we are from uh, all, all other appearances. So that, all indications are we're getting out. But maybe on his his end. 
We'd like to hear from you at 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. You know, Dad, uh, not understanding God and his characteristics really um, can hamper us as we try to serve him. If I, if I'm trying to do a job for you and I don't understand you and what you want and your, and your characteristics, I won't, uh, I likely won't do a good job for you if I don't know what you want and, and how you're going to deal with me. Same is true with, with God. That's right. As you say, in, in a work relationship, in a family relationship, you know, successful families, uh, are, uh, function successfully because each family member knows what the other likes and dislikes and what their general attitudes and, and conduct is, and so you can so you can relate to one another effectively by knowing what the other person really is like, and so it only makes common sense that it would be important for us to know what God is really like. Yeah, that's true. We must know what God is like, and there are lots of misconceptions, Dad, and you've asked for some of those. And uh... let's talk about these misconceptions first, Jacob. Let's get to that part first, because I think there are a lot of them. We got an email from Stephen in Pennsylvania who writes. I believe some of the biggest misconceptions that people have about God is that, one, he's a joke, two, he's full of hate, three, it's okay to blaspheme or or vainly take or take his name vainly, uh, or fourth, that he is confusing. So we might comment briefly about all those. Uh, God is not a joke, and I think that's uh, uh, anybody who's willing to investigate the information contained in the Word of God would I don't think could possibly come to the conclusion that he is a joke. But there are people, people who claim to be Christians who are making fun of God and and, uh, and having humorous times at his expense. Well, that's right. We, we, God deserves to be reverenced. He, we, we are to, to hold him in, in high regard. Uh, certainly we wouldn't belittle or, or make fun of God or anything about God. God is certainly one who deserves our respect. But I was thinking of the idea of a joke from the Maybe the idea of people who don't really believe. Uh, there's plenty of evidence to support the existence of God. We've talked about such things in the program before. But either to deny his existence or or to to speak take his name vainly or to blaspheme about God, uh, certainly those would be wrong ideas. And 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 people who do that will certainly be sorry at some point in the future. You likely have seen people who have mis- mistaken understanding of God, and if you have, we'd like to hear from you on the phone at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeu.com. Please join in on the discussion and let us know some of the mistaken ideas that people have of God and his nature. We want to hear from you on the program. Uh, the idea that God is full of hate that Stephen mentions here, Dad, is another one that's fairly common. You know, a lot of people believe that uh, that God is uh, up there with lightning bolts, and he's looking for somebody he can throw one at. He, he's just full of hate, and, and uh, he, he he's looking for a chance to to spew some of that hate on people here on earth. Well, that's obviously a mistaken idea. In fact, the Bible actually calls God love. He is the the epitome of love. First John chapter four and verse eight says, "God is love." So we need to understand that. So, and he is not one who's just seeking an opportunity to to punish us. I I think that Stephen's probably right that a lot of people view God that way. That he's just a God who would love to have a chance to send us all to hell, and he's actually looking for that opportunity. And if if he gets his way, what he will do is just condemn us all. That's certainly not what is taught in scriptures. First Timothy chapter two and verse four says God will have all men to be saved. And come unto the knowledge of the truth. So uh, the idea that God is a God of hate uh, certainly is not the case. All right. And Stephen mentions also 
that it is okay to take to blaspheme God or to take His name vainly. Certainly, another misunderstanding of the characteristics and nature of God. Um, if we truly understood His nature, there would be nothing to blaspheme, and there would be no reason to take His name in vain. If we truly understood and appreciated His nature. And um, if we fully understood his instructions, we'd know that that's not acceptable as well. Exactly right. All right. And what about and, and the, the fact that he's confusing? And the last point that Stephen says is that he's confusing, that God doesn't make himself clear to us. Um, again, I don't think that's accurate. Uh, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 3, he says, By revelation he, God, made known to me, the mystery, as I wrote a four and few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So he said it was revealed. Paul said it's revealed to me. I wrote it down. You can read it. You can understand it. In fact, we're commanded to understand it. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. Be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. The Lord has commanded us to understand. Therefore, it's possible to understand. Uh, and and the scriptures can be understood. That's not to say there's not some difficult things in the scripture. We acknowledge that, but the vast majority of things taught in the Word of God are very easily understood, and you don't have to be a great uh, scholar or a mental giant to be able to decipher the things that are in the Bible. It's understandable. God is not a confusing God. In fact, those things have been given to the simple, uh, not to those who are looking for that that elevated uh, sense of, of, of human wisdom and reasoning. So we look forward to hearing from you. Thank you, Stephen, for your comments on the program tonight. Give us a call or send us an email with misconceptions you've seen about God. Go ahead. I think we've got an email there from Keith Jacob. All right. Keith says, I believe most people think God will forgive them even if they aren't a Christian or even good. I've heard people say God won't send me to a devil's eternal hell because I don't kill people, rob banks, stay in jail, and so forth. God will just let me in on my own merit, some say. God won't judge me. And the little things I do, such as lying, having a drink with the guys down at the bar, or looking at obscene material, those are just little things that everybody does. God understands I'm just human and not perfect. If everyone has to be perfect, there won't be anyone in heaven but him. So a lot of people uh, have the idea that uh, God's sort of turning a blind eye to a lot of things going on. I get the idea that Keith has talked to some of the same people I have. Obviously, these are not his ideas. These are not Keith's ideas. These are things he's heard other people say about God. And I think he's exactly right. There are a lot of people who think God is just, we said earlier that God is a God of love. God himself is love. Uh, God wants all men to be saved. Some people take that the wrong way, though, and imagine that he is such a loving God that he could never bring himself to punish anyone. And if you're a generally pretty good person, then that will be enough and that you could be saved just on that basis. I might address both of those concepts. One of them is that God is too loving of a God to ever punish anyone. Anyone who thinks that needs to go way back in the book of Genesis and read the story that our little children study all the time about Noah and the flood. It's it's sort of a shame in a way that the story of Noah and the flood has been relegated to just a children's story because it has such powerful lessons for all of us, including all who are of accountable age and, and should know and serve God. But in regards to the fact that God might be so loving that he could never punish anyone, I simply remind you that when he sent the flood, it says in Genesis chapter 7, verse 21, all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and cattle and of beast and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life and of all that was in the dry land, died. 
Of course, the exception being Noah and those people and those animals that were with him on the ark. So here's a case where only eight people survived. In the whole world, only eight people survived the judgment that God sent in the days of the flood. The idea that God is such a loving God that he would never punish anyone is simply not true. He is a loving God, and he wants all men to be saved. But he is not so loving that he would overlook our wrongs. Uh, as as Keith says in his email, some people think that uh, he, he doesn't really care about lying and taking a drink at the bar or looking at pornography or just the little things that everybody does. Uh, he knows I'm human. I'm not perfect. Uh, well, God has made a way for us to be forgiven when we've sinned, but he will punish us if we don't seek his His forgiveness uh, made available through the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, so God is a, is a loving God, but God will not overlook our wrongs. Um, the, the other thing there, Jacob, he said uh, uh, most people think that they'll just make it on their own merit. You know, that God God knows me. He knows I'm a pretty good guy. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm typically pretty good. I'm, I'm a decent husband. I pay my bills. I pay my taxes. I go to work every day. I'm a decent fellow in my neighborhood. I'm a good neighbor. Uh, you know, I'm just all, all around a pretty good guy, and that ought to be enough. The Bible actually tells us that more, our own morality won't save us. Yeah, it is uh, sort of the idea that, uh, that God's just sort of giving people free passes, and uh, he said something, you Dad, it's sort of like uh, – like the uh, the grandfather who's scolding his grandchildren that he, he sort of says don't do that but he really doesn't care if I do it every now and then he'll let me he'll let me get by with some of that uh, so it's clearly misunderstanding about God we need to take a break and we'll look forward to hearing from you on the other side of the break at eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven or send your emails to questions at collegeview.com. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will continue right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. Hello, everyone. I'm Brett Haynes. I'm a member of the College View Church of Christ. A lot of people in the religious world today tell us that as long as our heart is right and we truly love God, we can do whatever we want in our service to Him. They say that what we do doesn't matter because God is only interested in our heart. I believe they have it all wrong. True, God is interested in our hearts, but He's also interested in our actions. One reason why is because our actions describe the true condition of our heart. This is what Jesus taught in Matthew 12, verse 34, when he said, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. So I believe that if we are doing whatever we want to in our service and are not serving God exactly like he has asked, then our heart is not right before God. The members of the College View Church of Christ are committed to making sure that both our hearts and our actions are pleasing to God. If you're interested in doing the same, we encourage you to join us for worship this Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. Hello, my name is Preston Jackson. I'm from Valdosta, Georgia, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study on Thursday night. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The virtual Bible study. Take it away, guys. And welcome back into the virtual Bible study tonight. Please be a part of it by giving us your phone call, toll free at 877-381-4567, or send us your emails to questions at collegeview.com. We look forward to hearing from you on the program tonight. We got a good email from Patrick in Alabama uh, Patrick sent in a very thoughtful email. And I really think that he's hit hit the nail on the head here on a number of these things. Here's the things he lists as the most common misconceptions that people have about God. One is God is an impersonal force or energy. 
Number two, God created the world and then stepped back to allow things to happen as they will, and he is simply an uninvolved observer. Third, God has no interest in human behavior, particularly morality. Fourth, God is no different from any pagan God. And fifth, God is our servant and is at our beck and call. Uh, some who practice magic even call on God to use his divine name in magical incantations. So several of those things I think that uh, Patrick is, is is certainly right. There are people who who believe that God sort of did what he suggested there is that he made the world sort of like a watchmaker. He designed it and he constructed it and he put it all together and he wound it up and he set it aside there to let it operate uh, separate and apart from his involvement. And if that were the case, then a lot of what the Bible tells us to do as Christians doesn't make much sense. Why would we pray to God, for instance, and make requests of him uh, if the fact of the matter is he's not even listening, he's not involved, he's not paying attention? In Philippians chapter 4, Verse 6, it says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Why? If he is an uninvolved, you know, sort of like the watchmaker who set the thing in motion and backed off to let it do its own thing, it wouldn't make any sense. Well, that and uh, people who hold this view that we hold about miracles when believing that miracles no longer occur in the world today may be at uh, at a danger of adopting that view, though, that God is not involved in the world at all. Uh, we talk a lot about the fact that the age of miracles has ended. The Bible is clear about that. Um, but God is still involved in the world. We can never forget that. And um, and we need to be reminded of the fact that, that that God still is involved in the things that are going on here on earth. Exactly right. And and when, when uh, Patrick says in his email that... Um, God is not not concerned about human behavior, particularly in matters of morality. A lot of Bible verses come to mind that that talk about how God does you know despises sin. Uh, I think of Proverbs six, beginning verse sixteen. These six things doth the Lord hate; yea, seven are an abomination unto Him: a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief. A false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. That's just one place where it says that these kinds of moral misbehavior are an abomination to God. Uh, we are certainly aware of the fact that God is not tolerant of sin and that uh, he is concerned about what we're doing. All right. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. What about the idea that God is an impersonal force? Some have that idea as well. Well... Um, Some believe that God uh-huh. is just in the in nature, and He's just sort of an ambiguous uh, being that we don't really nobody can get their hands around what God really is. Well, I think that might be the case. You know, some people I, I've heard it suggested that the idea of God was invented because people had no explanation for what they saw going on in nature. You know, the sun rises, the sun sets, the the the, the springtime comes, the flowers bloom, the grass turns green. You know, uh, living things are born and die, and and there must be something. There must be some some force causing all this to happen. Let's just call it God. You know, I, I think that that probably is the. Uh, and, and I don't have any doubt that that's how some pagan gods were invented uh, throughout the course of time. You know, the the Greeks worshipped the sun god and and so forth because they didn't have better ways of explaining what was going on. But we actually have not invented God in our mind to explain things we don't understand. 
we are worshiping a God who has revealed himself to us specifically. God reveals himself in nature. We see that there must be a, a, a supreme being, a designer and a, and a creator. But God uh, has, has specifically revealed himself to us in the scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, beginning verse 9, it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And so Paul's, Paul there speaks of the fact that, that God has specifically revealed himself to us and told us about himself and told us about what he desires and so forth. So he is not an impersonal force, but he is a real and living God who has spoken to us and instructed us and gives us information about how to do his will. All right. And so we don't have to go out in the woods and try and find God like some people have done in the past or maybe even doing today. God has revealed himself and we need to understand his characteristics. And that's what we're trying to understand on the virtual Bible study tonight. And so we do look forward to hearing from you with your thoughts about God, his nature, some misunderstandings about that nature, and some things that we need to understand about God's nature so that we can be pleasing to him. The number to call is 877-381-4567. The email address to use is questions at collegeview.com. We've got an email from Don in Antioch, Tennessee, who says, now this is dealing with misconceptions about God. He said, the idea that different faiths worship a common God is bothersome. He gives an example, uh, and I don't mean for this to be a political observation, but he just gives an example. When Al Gore chose Joel Lieberman as his running mate, a reporter made a comment that Gore and Lieberman shared a common prayer. Since Lieberman is a Jew and Gore is not, what is meant is that the two of them had a prayer in which Jesus was left out. The one true God of Christianity and the gods of Jewish faith, Islam, and many Catholic and many Protestant denominations are not one and the same. Uh I think that's right, and, uh, but in this age of political correctness, it, we're not supposed to say that we don't believe the Jews can be safe in their religion. We're not supposed to say that we don't believe that the Muslims are safe in their religion. But if we believe what the, the scriptures teach us, then we'd have to say that those, for instance, I got an email uh, earlier uh, from uh, Nick uh, in Michigan who asked the question, what about the Muslims and the Jews? Uh, could they be saved and the answer is no. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. In John 8, 24, Jesus said, except you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. And so, as Don has said in his email, what is presented to us today about God is that God is a God that doesn't, you know, that, that he, all, all religions can come to him. There's just different avenues to approach God. Is not true. Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father, and obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. I saw an, uh, an exchange, an email exchange uh, from two people uh, this week where one person described it as being different strands in a rope, that all the denominations are different strands in the rope, that they all make up the rope of Christianity, that it doesn't really matter how you worship God, how you serve God, what instructions you obey. You are a part of that, that, that common cord of Christianity, and God simply does not make allowances for us to all do different things and be pleasing to him. I even talked with someone who was premillennial uh, recently, Dad, and they said 
that they believe that the Jews were in a right relationship with God. And I questioned that uh, belief. How could someone who denied that Jesus was the Son of God be in a right relationship with God? They call him, they'd be calling God a liar. Certainly. But they, but those who are held to this premillennial view believe that the, the children of Israel, uh, the physical Jews today, are still in a right relationship with God. How they get to that, uh, they're not reading their Bible to get to that conclusion. Exactly right. I think you're exactly right. Um, so I think that from Patrick's email, he mentioned several good things that, that, that we'll keep in mind, misconceptions about God. Got a, and all, excuse me, we were just, we were just commenting on Don's. We were just commenting on Don's emails. Thank you, Don, for your email. And we got an email from a listener in Indiana who says, I've had others say to me, prove that God exists. Can you touch him, see him, or hear him? It's just a crutch that you use to explain what you do or believe. The Bible is just a story. I think what is being said here is the idea we suggested earlier that God was invented as a superstitious way of explaining things we didn't know how to explain otherwise. Uh, uh, it goes on to say, if he's real, where did he come from? Who are his parents? Uh, and if this is true, there must be others like him. He said, these are just a few comments that have been made to me over the years. Well, what they're what they're doing here is they're trying to they're trying to lower God to the level of a mortal man, trying to make God just like us. We have parents. God must have parents, and so forth. Uh, the Bible tells us that God is not like us. In Psalm 50, verse 21, the Lord says, You thought I was just like you. I will reprove you and state the case in order before your eyes. Psalm 50, verse 21, God is not like us. Isaiah 55, verse 8, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heaven is higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is not just like us. And those who say, well, you know, you're there, I can touch you. Therefore, I can believe that you exist. But unless I can touch God, then I won't believe that he exists. And by the way, if he exists, who are his mother and father? Because you have a mother and father. Everybody has a mother and father. He must have a mother and father. And if he has a mother and father, there must be other beings like him and so forth. That's just trying to to, to de-elevate God to the level of man. You know, we have as much evidence for the existence of George Washington as we do of God. Nobody can can hear him, see him. Or touch him, and nobody has any pictures of George Washington, Dad, but nobody doubts that George Washington exists, and we don't say that that is just a fable that was made up to explain the first president of the United States. Or go farther back than that. You go hundreds of years farther back than that. We we believe we believe that things happened, that being that people existed, uh, just based upon the evidence and the testimony. That was given. All right. Appreciate that uh, comment coming from Indiana tonight. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. We, we want to go to the second question, Jacob, and I know we're coming up on our mid-program break here, but let's remind everything of the second question that we asked to our update list. What are the most important things about God that people need to realize? If you haven't emailed us yet, send us an email. Give us your thoughts. What would you if – you, if you had a chance, you're talking – let's say you're a believer – and you have a chance to talk to someone that has not been believing in God. What what would you tell them that you believe are the most important things they need to know about God and come to realize about him? Uh, we, we want some feedback along that line. Uh, real quickly, cover one of our emailers. Uh, Stephen says the biggest thing that people need to realize about God is that he wants you to open your eyes so you can understand who he is. 
God wants you to know about him. God wants you to understand about him and about his truth, about the things that he has said and the instructions that he has given. Uh, We often are reminding people that the God of heaven has given instructions, not just so he can say, I'm the boss and I get to tell people what to do. But he has given instructions because he knows what's in our best interest. He created us. He knows us. He made us. Therefore, he knows what works best for us. And God wants us to open our eyes and see those realities. All right. We're going to go to our break. And when we get back, we'll continue the discussion and hopefully do what Stephen suggests, that uh, we will open our eyes and find out more about the characteristics of God. And we look forward to hearing from you in those lines in our discussion tonight. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. This week's bullet point is coming up next. Don't go anywhere. We'll continue the virtual Bible study right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Stock market investors have been nervously watching the daily news reports to see how their investments are doing. Even a slight increase or decrease in points can sometimes mean a gain or loss of thousands of dollars. And with the volatility in the market recently, lots of money has been changing hands. And so with money invested, typically people are very interested to know the latest market trend. While stock market investments can be a helpful tool in building up financial wealth, the scriptures teach us that our most important investments ought to be in a different realm. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew 6, beginning verse 19. Quote, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. The reason for this emphasis on heavenly investments is obvious. Jesus said, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We need to realize that having our treasures laid up in heaven has advantages now as well as in eternity. Not only will we reap the reward of a heavenly home forever, but we will also benefit in this life. If our investments are in spiritual things, we will have a great ongoing interest in them. Just as a stock market investor watches the market closely, we will carefully watch how things are developing in our spiritual lives. There will be a tendency to do the things that will increase our heavenly stock, and we'll be on guard for anything that could threaten our eternal well-being. And if we should begin to struggle in our service as Christians, others will be able to call us back by reminding us of our investment. So, Christian, let's ask this. How are your spiritual investments? That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hi, my name is Hunter. I'm 11 years old, and I love listening to the Virtual Bible Study. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the Virtual Bible Study. Now, back to the program. And welcome back into the Virtual Bible Study tonight. We appreciate you joining us. This program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about the College View Church of Christ by visiting our website, collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com. If you have any questions about the things that we believe, we encourage you to contact us at your earliest convenience over the phone, over email, or you can come and visit with the College View Church of Christ to find out more about what we believe in practice. We hope that you will join in on the discussion tonight, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. got an email from Isaac who says, I know people who believe in God but think that doing what he says is too hard, Jacob. Uh, I think I know plenty of people who think that too, so I appreciate Isaac bringing up that misconception of God. There may be a God, but if there is, what he, to live in the way he wants us to live is way too hard. A lot of people have that understanding, but it is not too hard and it is not unreasonable. And other people say that, that it's unreasonable that we should have to live uh, in a disciplined manner following God's commands. But in First Timothy chapter 6, verse 16, I'm sorry, um, 
First Timothy chapter 6, verse 14, Paul has given Timothy some instructions, and he says that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul understood that Timothy could keep the instructions that he had been given without spot and without blame. He could keep the commandments that he was required to keep before God. And uh, I alluded to this earlier, Jacob, in Deuteronomy 6, verse 24, when Moses was speaking to the children of Israel, he said, The Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. God's commands are for our good. He knows He knows us. He knows what's best for us. And He has just, he's given us instructions because he knows what works best for us. I, I, uh, an example that I often use along that line, why, why did God condemn drinking alcohol and drunkenness? Has anybody ever had their life enriched by drinking alcohol and becoming drunken? Obviously not. And so, you know, there's just a, 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 a simple example, and we can multiply them. God gave instructions because he knew what was in our best interest, and he was giving us instructions whereby if we live by them, it's not too hard it actually makes our lives easier and, and that we're blessed in the process. You, Dad, you change your oil in your vehicle regularly, and you change it at the intervals that the manufacturer has told you Usually. to change. Well, you should. Usually. But have you done any tests to prove that that's the, the interval you ought to do it, to change it? No, you haven't. You take their word on it because they designed and built the, the car, the engine. They know what it needs. And we ought to do the same with God's instructions. We shouldn't have to try and prove it for ourselves. God told us to do something. We ought to do it. Now, the uh, the example that Isaac gave about people saying it's too hard, um, God's instructions are too hard, people are making that excuse, Dad, not because they want to do what God has told them to do, but because they would rather not do what God would want them to do. They're trying to find an excuse to do what they want to do, and it is clear that they don't understand the passage you referenced in Deuteronomy chapter 6. They don't understand the principle that God's instructions are for our good. And they're not wringing their hands saying, God's instructions are too hard. I wish I could do more of them. They're, they're saying, God's instructions are too hard. I don't want to do them. Yeah. And they don't understand that they're, for the, they're good. Yeah, First John 5, verse 3 says, This is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous or burdensome. Those who think God's commands are too hard uh, are, are actually very badly mistaken, and they're actually making their lives harder by rejecting God and doing other than his will. All right. Give us your call or send us an email. We want to hear from you on the program tonight. Thank you, Isaac, for your participation in the virtual Bible study. Uh, Keith in Lynchburg says, here's what people need to understand about God. He says uh, they don't seem to understand that God is forgiving and just, but he demands obedience and faithfulness. He requires that we be of service to him, and putting things of this world ahead of him will not go unpunished. God didn't allow his son to be nailed to a cruel cross so people can just go on in sin, not repenting of their wrongs, not making him number one in their lives. Christians aren't perfect, but they do have to make changes in their lives if they want to hear him say, quote, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joys of thy Lord. Leaving the things of this world is hard sometimes, but better than being punished for eternity. He's willing to forgive, but we have to seek him before it's everlasting, everlastingly too late. He truly loves us and wants us to understand that, but we have to make the free moral decision to turn to him. Therefore, God is love. So basically, I take it that Keith is saying I agree with him, that one of the things we need to understand is that God does expect obedience and that he will not forever allow disobedience to go unpunished. He's a loving God, but he's also a just God. He's a loving and merciful God, but he's also a just God who has historically always punished evildoers 
and has promised that he will punish us if we do not do his will. And some of the community church movements today, Dad, are are teaching that that God loves you just the way that you are. You don't need to change. Come as you are, uh, that everything is just fine. But uh, God demands obedience. He demands repentance of sin in our lives, and he demands that we serve him faithfully. We must be doing that to be pleasing to him. Exactly right. Uh, email from Don uh, about, and I'm not, I'm not sure I'm actually following this email very well. Uh, what do people need to know about God? Uh, he says the Bible talks about another Jesus, another Spirit, another Gospel that the apostles did not preach, receive, except. I guess what he's saying is the Bible warns us that there will be false teachers, and we need to know that. Yes. Yet religion today is a mix of many other Jesus's spirits, gospels. We would all do good to examine ourselves and what we believe and not let our minds be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. I'm, I'm not sure I follow that exactly, but I think what well, he's God's saying, make sure that we are believing in the true Jesus. We're believing in the true doctrine of the apostles, that uh, we are, are, are doing things that are right in God's sight, not just right in our, in our eyes. That we, it, just because it has the name religion on it or just because it has the name Christianity on it doesn't make it so. And if it make it just because it may make us feel like we're doing what we should, that doesn't mean that we're right with God. We need to understand God and his instructions. I believe that's some think, of what, what Don's getting at. There. I think so. Thank you, Don. Thanks for that email. And and one more time back to Patrick's email from, from uh, Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, things that most important things people need to realize about God. First and foremost, God is holy. God has many other attributes. God is love. God is merciful. God is generous. He is slow to anger, rich in kindness. Even so, the primary attribute is his holiness. And I think that's exactly right. And, that, and because God is holy, therefore, he cannot fellowship sin and wickedness. And, and so that, that's a two-sided coin, but it's very important to understand that. Uh, second thing, he says, God is just. Even though God is merciful and patient, God's justice is perfect, and we should not become lax or presumptuous. We cannot willfully and obstinately continue in sin and expect that God will give us a free pass into everlasting life with him as a reward. We will be held accountable for our actions. Even the sins for which we are forgiven still have consequences. Uh, and he quotes, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You know, that the, the idea that God is going to overlook sins, that, that shows us that, God, that people don't understand God's justice and his righteousness. That's right. God can't overlook sin. It is impossible for him to do that. It's easy to accept the idea of God, God's love and mercy. It's harder to accept his uh, justice. justice and punishment. But they all are a part of what we need to know about God. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, it goes on. God is, interest, God is interested in human affairs. He is not an absent landlord. He cares about us and wants what is best for us. He's a loving father. The entire universe was created to manifest God's glory, but everything in it was designed with humankind in mind for our good. Uh, he goes on, we are created for God's purposes and for his good pleasure, not to pursue only our own interests. God gives us certain desires and motivations as his good gifts, but when we put our desires over and above God's desires, we create unhappiness for ourselves and others. I think that's exactly right. I, you know, if, if you were to say, Jacob, what is our purpose for being here? I would say it is to bring glory to God. If you, you know, if you created, if you invented something, Jacob, let's say you invented a piece of machinery, and people were looking at this piece of machinery, they might say, that's an amazing thing. The guy who made that is brilliant. I'd like to meet the fellow who made that. That's amazing. He, you know, and so when they see what you created, they praise you for your 
intelligence and having made it. Now, that's a simple example. On a far, far greater, I mean, infinitely greater scale, look at the creation and and observe that the purpose for it, the purpose for creation is for God to be glorified in it. We are part of that creation. We are God's created beings. We exist for the purpose of bringing glory to him. How many people who claim to be religious understand that? I don't think very many do. Okay. And I, I think that, I, I, well, I really think all of us need to meditate on that a lot. That's our That's our purpose for being here. That's why we're here. And then finally, in Patrick's email, he says, ignoring or disavowing the existence of God does not make him go away or release anyone from responsibility. You ignore him, you deny him, and you fail to serve him at your own peril because the history of God's dealing with mankind is that he has always punished those who don't do his will. You won't be able to ignore him for long. Right, exactly right. Uh, Thank you, Patrick, for your participation in the program tonight. got an email from uh, Jeff in Athens, Alabama, who says, uh, comments on First John 5, 3, his commandments are not burdensome. As a way to illustrate this, consider Genesis 29, 20. Jacob was willing to serve Laban for another seven years for Rachel. You remember that story? He, sure. Two sisters. Uh, Jacob had agreed to work for seven years to marry the younger one, Rachel, who was the pretty one. And he got tricked into marrying the older one, uh, Leah. Uh, and so then he was... He said, well, I'll work another seven years for Rachel. And it says there in Genesis 29, 20, they seemed to him, but for a few days because of his love for her. It seemed like nothing. I mean, since he loved her, it was nothing. He felt it as nothing. If a person really loves God, he or she will not see a command as burdensome. It is entirely attitudinal from our perspective. I think that's that's a good way to look at it. If we really love God, then doing what he wants us to do is not a burden. It's something we want to do. All right, Jeff. Thank you for your participation tonight and those good comments. We have time to take a call or an email from you. Give us a call, toll-free at 877-381-4567 or questions at collegeu.com. You know, one thing, one more thing that I would comment about, Jacob, uh, has to do with the idea that some people have that God sends bad things upon us. You know, God gets blamed. Unfortunately, God doesn't always get the credit for the good things that happen, but very often he gets the blame for any trouble or problem that enters into our life. We kind of like to make God a scapegoat. And all of us have probably heard people say and possibly even thought ourselves, why is God doing this to me? Maybe, you know, we've uh, had a sickness, lost a loved one, some terrible calamity has happened in our life. And people can, maybe all of us, uh, might think along that line from time to time say, well, why is God doing this to me? God gets the blame for everything in some people's that, minds. That's right. Um, it is not any bad. I like to, I like to explain that any bad thing that exists in the world is not what God really wanted. If you want to see how things were when God had it all the way he wanted it, go back to the garden of Eden, picture Adam and Eve in a perfect environment in, in Eden. That's what God's intended will was for mankind. That's what he wanted. Uh, what changed all that was Satan and sin. When Satan was able to, to get uh, the woman and the man to sin, that's what changed everything. And so I've always said, you know, that if you if you really want to place the blame on whoever it is who deserves it, place the blame uh, with Satan, as he's the one who brought all these tr- troubling things into the world. But uh, Psalm 31, verse 19 says, concerning God, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear, that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Jeremiah 2, verse 17, Have you not done this to yourself by your forsaking of the Lord your God when he led you in the way? 
Jeremiah said to the people who were suffering, he said, a lot of this you've brought upon yourself. And in the in the in the big, big picture thing, all the trouble in the world comes from sin, either our sin or the sins of others. Uh, and you can trace that all the way back to the sins of Adam and Eve. But but the the the, the hurtful, difficult things in life are, are there, not because it's what God initially intended. That was his will was that everything be perfect. All right. So we do need to understand that, and we need to be careful about blaming God for the things that are unpleasurable in our life. We have one more break to take, and then we'll take it to the top of the hour. We're going to do something different when we get back, Jacob. All right, you want to stay tuned for that. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will continue right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Hi. My name is Mike Johnson. I'm a member here at the College of View Church of Christ. Have you ever heard someone say that the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic? Generally, people say this when we say that we must be careful to follow all the commands that God has given us. When we say, God says we must do this, or God doesn't command us to do that, people respond with, the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic. Well, while it may be impossible to know exactly what people mean when they make this accusation, if they are accusing us of being legalistic because we say that we should follow all the instructions that God has given us, then that accusation is correct. But let me ask you this. Which of the commands that God has given us should we ignore? Can we pick and choose which commands we follow, or must we follow them all? Jesus said we have to follow all the commands of God when he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? We want to call Jesus our Lord, so we try to follow all the commandments that he has given us. We don't in any way think that following God's commands earns our salvation, but we do think it is necessary to be pleasing to him. Here at the College of You Church of Christ, we're trying to follow every command that God has given us. If, as a result, some people call us legalistic, then so be it. We think it's what God calls being righteous. Hi, my name is Mike Holt. My wife and I, we love listening to the virtual Bible study. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study. And uh, for the last part of the program tonight, we want to do something a little different. Jacob, it's been suggested, I think it's a pretty good suggestion, that we could put some short videos out on YouTube that would both introduce the virtual Bible study to a lot of people and also answer some questions that are on a lot of people's minds. And so we've got a question that's going to lend itself to that. And so what we're going to do here, uh, all of you who've been listening, all of you who are regular listeners, uh, uh, we're going to just sort of act like we're starting over here, starting from scratch with the virtual Bible study tonight. No, you know, don't check your connection. You're not, you're not somehow hearing a recording or a playback. We're going to start over, sort of introduce what the virtual Bible study is, and then answer a question about baptism. And we're going to try to do a little 10 minute segment here that we can save as a video and then upload it to YouTube and see if we can get some people to, to listen to that and maybe get a Bible answer via YouTube. And so uh, uh, hang on here a second, and we'll just start over. All right. Well, welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. My name is Jacob. And my name is Greg. And we uh, conduct a weekly Internet call-in program. You can listen to at thevirtualbiblestudy.com, as you'll see on your screen. And we are interested in learning what God's will is for us in our lives, and we know where to find out what God's will is. It is in the pages of his word. And so on the virtual Bible study every week, we simply open up God's Bible, God's word, the Bible, and we learn what God wants us to do. We don't go to any creeds. So we don't go to any uh, people who would proclaim themselves to be wiser than anyone else. We simply go to God's word. And we find out what God wants from us in our lives. Exactly right. We do this virtual Bible study every Thursday night on the Internet. We do it by live audio and video stream. So if you get a chance on Thursday night, 
It's at 8 o'clock Central Time. That would be 9 o'clock on the East Coast. But 9 o'clock Central, excuse me, 8 o'clock Central Time, 9 o'clock Eastern, we do the virtual Bible study. Our website is easy to remember, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. So maybe go to our website, bookmark it. Maybe note on your calendar to tune in live at 8 o'clock Central Time every Thursday night. We talk about a wide variety of Bible subjects, and we'd be glad to take your questions and talk about them as well. We thought we'd spend a few minutes here, Jacob, talking about a question that we received from Sarah in Tennessee. And she asked simply, how do you become a Christian? Do you have to be baptized? Well, that's a good question. We all want to be saved, and uh, we want to be in a right relationship with God question is, how do you do it? What do you need to do in order to be saved? And that is a question that people have asked throughout history. In Acts chapter 2, we read where the first gospel sermon was preached, and that almost exact question was asked. The apostles had been preaching about Jesus, and the people who heard that sermon asked, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Acts 2.38 says, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so to people who were asking, what should we do? They were convicted of their sins. What shall we do? They were told that they needed to be baptized. Well, they were convicted of their sins because they had faith. They had heard the gospel preached. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, we read, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We've got to hear the word of God in order to know that we are in sin, and to know that we need to do something about that sin. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Exactly right. And, and upon hearing the word of God, we've got to believe it. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. He that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Hebrews eleven six. So upon hearing and believing, we we then need to take action. You're saying we're not Christians at the point of hearing and believing. Well, no, because we we understand that this repentance is necessary. Acts 2.38 said, repent and be baptized. Repentance is a turning away from our sins. Jesus said in, in uh, Luke 13, verse 3, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So we've got to repent. We've got to turn away from our sins. We've got to be willing to confess our faith in Jesus. Romans 10, verse 10 says, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. But then, and according to the question that Sarah has sent in, do you have to be baptized? Well, yes, you have to be baptized. You have to do these other things as well. You have to hear the truth. You've got to know it. You've got to believe it. But having believed what's taught in the truth of God's word, you have to repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus, and be baptized. The Bible's clear on that. First Peter chapter 3, verse 21, the like figure went to even baptism doth also now save us. Baptism saves us. We can't be saved without baptism. Baptism is required for salvation. It's how we become a Christian. In Mark chapter 16 and verse 16, Jesus himself said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And so Jesus said, Yes, you've got to be baptized. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He didn't say he that believeth shall be saved. He said he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Again, the connection with baptism is always that it is required for salvation. Exactly. You know, Jacob, people are usually pretty interested in real-life stories. On the television, you all the time see these infomercials where people tell you about their, their own life story, as how, how they lost weight, how they made money or something. And so real-life stories are, are pretty convincing to us. And the Bible is actually full of real-life stories of people who became Christians. And I'm, I'm reminded of one in Acts chapter 9 that involves a man who was named Saul, Saul of Tarsus. He was from the city of Tarsus. He was actually an unbeliever and had been very active in persecuting Christians. But 
uh, as he was on his way to the city of Damascus to persecute more Christians. In Acts chapter 9, verse 3, it says, Suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said to him, Rise, go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. So here's a man named Saul who had not been a believer, but but he saw miraculously and spoke to the Lord on the road to Damascus, and he becomes a believer at that, at that time. He actually called Jesus Lord in, in that exchange that we just read. Well, he goes into the city now. Three days he's there. He's blind. He's not eating or drinking. We know what he's doing because uh, the Lord appeared to a, a man named Ananias and said to him, verse 11, Arise, go into the street, which is called straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. And so he was praying. So here's a believer. He believes enough that he's even praying. A believer who's praying, is he saved yet? Well, no, because over in chapter 22 of Acts, we have the recorded words of this Ananias. When he came in to where Saul was, he says in Acts, 20, uh, the record of it in Acts 22, verse 16 says, He told Saul, Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And so in this instance, this is a pretty interesting real-life story, Jacob. This is a real individual. What did he do in order to be saved? Well, he became a believer. On but, the road. On the road. But, and and he, he believed enough that he was even praying about it. But it wasn't enough because when this Ananias came to him and spoke to him, he said, you need to be baptized to wash away your sins. A, a believer who was praying but not saved, he still was in his sins. That's right. And so we can see from the example there that believing is not sufficient. Praying through your salvation. Some people say you just need to pray to God and he'll save you. That's Some not people talk about praying the sinner's prayer. Just say a prayer. You Certainly. And if that's all that was required, uh, Paul could have been saved right there on the Damascus Road. You called him Paul. We've been calling him Saul. This fellow, this Saul of Tarsus that we've been talking about, became the Apostle Paul. But we've just read about how he became a Christian. And although there were some amazing things taking place in his instance, the fact of the matter is the thing, same thing must happen to all who would be saved today. They have to believe and they have to obey. They have to believe repent of their sins, confess their faith in Jesus, and be baptized to wash away their sins. Baptism is not the only thing we have to do, but it is one of the things that we have to do in order to be saved. So Sarah in Tennessee is asked, how do you become a Christian? Do you have to be baptized? The answer is right there in the Word of God. If we'll just simply search it out, we can understand what God wants us to do to be saved. And if you have any questions about what you need to do in order to become a Christian, we would encourage you to contact us at 877-381-4567, or you can email us, questions at collegeu.com. Visit our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com, and tune in to The Virtual Bible Study every Thursday night at 8 o'clock. That's exactly right. We're on the Internet every Thursday night, and we'd love to have you as a listener. Mark our Bookmark our website and join us on Thursday nights at 8 o'clock. All right. Well, there you go. Well, 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 we'll clip that section out. Those of you who are listening, maybe if you joined in in the middle of that, you wondered what we were doing. 
we're going to we're going to take that little 10 minute segment and hopefully what we can do is clip that out and upload it to YouTube and uh, who knows? We may get some airtime out of that. Now, uh, this is a neat uh, opportunity that we can put these video clips out there and do some teaching. Perhaps you have some suggestions on some topics that would be good in that format, in t- a little five- to ten-minute segment that could be put out on YouTube. We can. Uh, we would like to hear from you on things that people ought to be uh, taught out on YouTube. Let us know your your comments and your suggestions about that, Dad. And we could even work in and incorporate a section where we allow our listeners to feed, give us feedback, and maybe yeah. uh, call in while we're doing that recording for you. Yeah, yeah, we'd like to we'd like to build upon that. So if you have an idea, send it to us. And if you'd like to participate in in one of those little, I understand that you can only the longest video that you're allowed to upload to YouTube is ten minutes. That's why we're trying to do it in that kind of a segment, Jacob. So if you have some idea, or if you'd like to participate in that, uh, let us know. Uh, real quick, Jacob, I got an email back to the theme of our subject that we were studying earlier. Wade in Hampshire, Tennessee has written in the attributes of God. God is perfect and just. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. He is a rock. Uh, his work is perfect for all his ways are judgment, uh, are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. He mentions God is omnipresent, and of course the word omnipresent suggests being everywhere at all times. Uh, Psalm 139, verse 7, beginning, Whether shall I go from thy spirit, or whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, thou art there. And so he's omnipresent. He's omniscient. The word omniscient, of course, suggests the idea of being all-knowing. Psalm 139, verse 1, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me thou knowest my, 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 excuse me thou knowest my down sitting and my uprising thou understandest my thoughts from afar off and so on and then one other point wade makes god is eternal meaning he had no beginning and that his existence will never end he is immortal infinite tight uh, first timothy 1 verse 7 now to the king eternal immortal invisible the only wise god be honor and glory forever and ever amen so wade suggests God is perfect and just, omnipresent, omniscient, and eternal. All right. Thank you, Wade, for listening tonight and your participation. And a good study about uh, the characteristics of God. We need to understand those characteristics so that we can have an appreciation of the God that we serve and so we can have the proper respect for that God that we serve and also an understanding of what he expects. And without knowing the characteristics of God, we can't know any of those things, and we won't be pleasing to him unless we understand his true characteristics. That's right. We need to understand what God is really like, not well, not some human misconception about God. All right. Thank you for your time tonight, Dad. Thanks, Jacob. Good to be with you on Thursday night. And thank you for listening to the program. We hope you benefited from the time you spent in the study of God's Word with us tonight. We hope you'll make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College 
College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.